Hi, I'm Will Lavise. He's Eric Claville. You're tuned into Lavise and Claville. We give it to you straight the way it is from a black male's perspective. So get let's get right to it. I guess I'm pausing, man, because I'm thinking about this topic, the um, Derek Chauvin trial concerning the killing of George Floyd. I mean, in our country, uh, we've had several trials of the century that have been highly charged with race. I think about the Scottsboro Boy trial. You think about, you know, the Rodney King trial. You think about the OJ trial. And then we look at this trial, Derek Chauvin, who we all witness uh, the killing of George Floyd with him on him on his his knee on Mr. Floyd's neck yeah. um, without any um, regard for life, and it's just it just makes you pause. It makes you choke up. It makes you yeah. uh, just to have to think about that. And this first week of the trial and what we're going to be doing on Lavise and Claville is looking really closely at this trial, which is likely to be. Um, clearly the trial of the century at this point and looking at it uh, each week and talking in detail and looking at some of the nuances. Yeah. And so in this week, I mean, it's been emotionally charged um, first week of the trial with the witnesses that the prosecution has put forth. People who have actually were there uh, and saw this man's life being sucked out. I mean, as you were looking at the trial, I mean, I think about it as I was looking at it and how I was feeling the emotion of the different witnesses. Eric, I know you had to be, especially as an attorney who, you know, loves the law and, and knows what the law should do and oftentimes what it doesn't do. You had to have been, you know, emotionally shaken by it as well. Absolutely, Will. Um, as you stated, you know, this trial, I think it is definitely the trial of the decade. Uh, this trial is really going to show us mm. how far we've truly come mm. as a nation that embraces our history and our current issues with systematic racism. Um, also, it's our reckoning with Black communities and police. You know, it's... You know, I've, I've actually watched quite a bit of the trial. Um, mm -hmm. Some of it, I, you know, some of it, Will, I really couldn't watch. I mean, it was just that that much for me. Yeah, it's too much, yeah. You know, and Will, I remember that, you know, the moment that I decided I didn't want to practice criminal law, right? Uh, you know, it brought back kind of thoughts of that in being in a situation where um, you would have to be in a trial like this. So it's a very difficult moment. Uh, it's a very hard moment because this this case is not a slam dunk because of the policies that are in place for qualified immunity and, and the like. But I think that the prosecution does a great job of countering any arguments that the defense may try to put up. And they've done a great job of getting for the first time. I have not seen any trial like this where an officer's on trial, where your own captain, lieutenant, supervisor, training commander, all testify against you, meaning the officer. I've never seen it. Never seen that. Exactly. I mean, it's one of the cases where we often hear about this blue wall of silence where police officers, even though they they know that wrong has been committed, they rally around each other and protect each other yeah. because of, uh, again, this blue wall. And I guess 
having covered cops as a reporter, I know that they often will look at the situation as well. They may find themselves in that kind of situation at some point in their career. So there's this tribalism of, of rallying around each other. But like you said, you've got the you know, lieutenant of uh, Minneapolis, one of the lieutenants that was there. You got the police chief, all who clearly said, you know, this was way over the top. This was unnecessary. When, when Mr. Floyd stopped resisting, even if you felt that he was resisting and being overzealous in his resistance, when he stopped resisting, that was reason enough to no longer have to keep your uh, knee on his neck, even if putting your knee on his neck in the first place was okay. And, and what I was really struck by was, and I really empathized with, was the witnesses who saw this. And yeah. individual after individual who was there, the people who were filming, the citizens who were in the crowd, Yelling at police, look, you you you're sucking a life out of him, you're killing him. This is this is not right. And how many of them one by one broke down on the stand, feeling a sense of guilt, like they wish they could have done more. They wish right. they could have done more by um, you know, by Mr. Floor. You know, Will, you bring up a very important point. A lot of times we look at these things in, in a vacuum. And it, you know, with social media and everyone having the ability to record you know, at the drop of a dime. You know, we, we create so many videos, so much content, that it becomes kind of, kind of it, 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 it doesn't become real to us. Right, kind of numb to it, yeah. Absolutely. But those people were there, mm. and they actually watched a man be killed, be murdered, okay? Think about that. You know, not too many people can say they actually watched someone die someone big for their lives, someone asking for help. And minute after minute, second after second, moment after moment, you're seeing a person's life leave this earth, mm. never to come back again. That is traumatizing. We have, you know, myself being a veteran, I know individuals who have gone to war, they've gone into uh, uh, situations where they had to go on patrols and things of that nature, and they saw it. You know, somebody died. And they're still dealing with that today. Right. You know, with, with PTSD and nightmares and things, things of that nature. You know, that's what death, seeing death does to you. So, you know, we can't really, we, we can't take anything away, Will, from the testimony of the witnesses that were there, because that's their true account. What really tugged in my heart was when the, I think it was a nine-year-old. that was Right, there. right. I was thinking you the know? same thing. You know, and they tell, and, and to see a nine-year-old, you know, actually, you know, tell their account of what they saw, and they were just like, uh, he was hurting, you know, and it was see like he was really bad. The man was hurting really bad. I mean, that's that's that pure innocence, mm -hmm. right? They right. really don't know how to finagle the. They don't know anything about spin. They don't know anything about affirmative defenses. They don't know anything about testifying on the stand in a way that's convincing to the to the jury. They don't know anything about preserving right. record for an appeal. All they know is what they saw, a pureness. And when that child said that, I can only imagine, because going through Void Dyer and learning, you know, how to pick juries mm -hmm. and who who serves on it. I, I haven't seen the jury, but I heard the testimony and I saw the courtroom. I can right. only imagine that that 
if, if there's any issue with whether uh, former officer Derek Chauvin is guilty or not, it's going to come back to that little girl, that, that little kid and what, what they saw. Well, a, another thing that really stuck out to me was how everyone that saw it broke down and said their regret is they wish they would have done more. Right, yeah. You know, you yeah, know. That was, I mean, that was just so powerful that it's almost like this survivor's remorse thing or yeah. so many of them, because they were African-American, were seeing themselves there and, like you said, wishing that they can do more. And, you know, again, this is something that happened. It didn't just happen yesterday. You know, it, it happened, you know, a while ago, and now they're having to relive and be okay. back in that moment and be back in that place. And just like you, I mean, I, I thought about if the adults are breaking down like this, then how might this impact, you know, a child long-term? Yeah. Because as you talked about that innocence, you know, a child is supposed to look at you know, adults, especially police, people in authority, as being uh, on the side of righteousness, on the side of these are people that you can depend on. Right. You know, when things are confusing and things uh, don't make sense to you, as a child, you can turn to an adult and say, okay, I can depend on that adult to help make sense of this. So as a child, and you see a police officer behaving in that irrational, obviously wrong way, it breaks down in many ways your sense of trust about Absolutely. the world around you. And we know, for example, you know, Santa Claus is not real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there's, a, there's a certain need for a child in being innocent, like you said, to have beliefs in, you know, fantasy and things that are maybe not possible and things are miraculous, you know, because as a child, you can't process the real, real realities of life. You shouldn't have to process them, but to come have a child have to confront the sucking of a man's life right yeah. before your eyes is, is just, I think, and, and, and again, I, I, you know, I cry inside. I'm, I'm watching this and I'm listening to the testimony, like you said, and I'm like, I can't imagine a long-term impact that this is going to have. If it's having this impact on me, <laughs> listening to this from a distance, from a safe distance of the privacy of my home, uh, I can only imagine a long-term impact that this you know, child just stripping away all sense of innocence and trust, you know, and the adults around you. It's incredible. You know, well, we've talked a lot about the emotion of the trial itself and just reflecting upon it. Like you said, you know, there's a lot of technical things or a lot of legal things. And we'll get into that as we, you know, go through our series of this, this trial, which again is really the trial of the decade, if not the century as it relates to this issue of systematic racism and how black police deal with our black communities. But what, 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 what draws to me are two instances where you have the witness, which is an old, older elderly African-American male, and then the person that, the female that actually filmed it, uh -huh. who at the time was a minor, 17, and now is 18 years old. First of all, to that young lady, the courage of a teenager, Mm. To stand there and keep filming. Absolutely. 
I mean, I, I can only, I, I can only ima I, I imagine what was going through her mind, and what he, you know, of course, adrenaline is rushing. Uh, everyone is excited, you know, and things of that nature. Not excited, happy, but just the the emotions are running hot. Right, I can't believe what they can't believe what their eyes are showing. Yeah, right. but then after you sit down and and think about it, and then you go review it, and she had the courage to release it. Because keep in mind that it wasn't released voluntarily. You know, the body cam and things of that nature with the police. Right. I mean, a lot of these issues, a lot of these uh, things that took place behind the scenes up front uh, really aren't in the public purview as, as we see it, because we got a lot of social media things that are happening. Right. But, but they had to respond because the video was out there from a bystander. So that's the reason why the video came out. But, you know, the other thing is, I'm thinking about her, and she said that she saw George Floyd as her brother, right. her father, her uncle, and thought about them. And she said she lays up and cries every night, asking God, asking George Floyd to forgive her, asking God to forgive her. But she got to a point where she said it wasn't, she had to forgive herself yeah. because it wasn't her that needed to do something different. It was the officer. Derek Chauvin, that's right. Who had his neck, his knee on his neck. They had to do something different. For and speaking, you know, and, and speaking of knee on his neck, you know, one of the things that came out in the trial is that all this time, you know, since, you know, the past summer, we've been hearing 846, 846, eight minutes. And it was actually... Nine minutes, 29 seconds. So you thinking about, you know, we're talking about nearly 10 minutes. I mean, 846 is bad enough, but when you hear 846, it's like, okay, maybe you we can make some sense of this. But yeah. when you talk about nine, you're talking about, okay, you're, you had That's your... That's a long time. That's a long time. Just, you had your, neck, your, your knee on this man's neck for 10 minutes? And well, then that's half, that's half of a half of an NCAA basketball game. Oh my God. It's like, well, this is totally, he had no respect for the man's life at all. And then we see another thing that came out is that um, his, uh, Derek Chauvin's body cam comes out and recordings of him talking about what just went down and not being honest about it and and underplaying and overplay you know George Floyd was out of hand and 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 difficult and resisting and so forth straight up lied and i can tell you again as a reporter we know who covered cops we know right. yes the majority of police officers as you deal with the public information officer um who's primarily the person you deal with getting information on crimes, we, they, for the most part, they will tell you what's honestly going on. But oftentimes what the public information officer is going by is what's in a police report. Absolutely. And what is in a police report is what the, what the officer on the ground and the officers wrote in, in the report. Well, they agree. So, so when you see this video, you get a sense of, okay, well, how many times have police officers lied about exactly what went down with their interaction with uh, a citizen? Mm -hmm. If he can sit there nonchalantly, you know, and you can tell he's 
stammering and 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 you can tell that he's uh, uh, not telling the truth and knows he's not telling the truth. You get to wondering how many times has not only has he done it, but how many times have other officers right. done that? Well, I, I can tell you that you know, in dealing with a lot of these cases and looking at the issues behind it, it happens more than you think. Because at the end of the day, you have to, like you said, that blue wall, that blue wall is solid. You know, it, 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 it barely cracks. And if you crack it, you know, they're coming after you. Again, for, you know, I talk about Adrian Schoolcraft. Adrian Schoolcraft was a second-generation white officer in New York City who actually uh, said that what the commander were telling them to do with the stop and frisk. And he recorded those meetings, and they came after him. They put him in an institution. They came to his apartment in SWAT gear. Wow. Only reason why his, his father, who was a retired police officer from that same prison, was able to find him is because, of course, he was retired. They knew him and said, listen, your son's here. They wouldn't even tell the father where the son was. They were going to bury him. So as longtime chief in, in L.A., Parker, mentioned, you know, the thin blue line. Nobody crosses it and nobody mm -hmm. comes over it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you do, both forces, you're going to be met with the full force and brunt of the institution. So that's one of the things that we have to, you know, understand and then break down for the rest of what we know, but for the rest of America to understand. And one thing I think that this video has done, because immediately... You know, white America as a whole were saying, oh, my God, I can't believe what I'm saying. You know, because right. corporations started speaking, and they started giving statements about this. You know, and philanthropic giving started coming down, you know, just out of nowhere, um, you know, trying to address these issues. But finally, Will, they saw exactly what African Americans have been talking about. Now, to be honest with you, I think they should have saw it during Rodney King. I think uh, that's should. the exact case that I was thinking about, you know, as I was seeing and, and watching this case and seeing the replay of the video, because the video was replayed several times. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, this, this should is be it. obvious. This is it. This should be obvious. But then both of us are old enough to remember Rodney King. And we saw that video of him getting it, a royal beatdown on the highway, something that you and I are very familiar with if we didn't exactly experience, I mean, I experienced being face down on the highway with uh, police officers. And I've certainly have friends who experienced yeah. that beat down. You know, yeah. I didn't get beat savagely beat like Rodney King was, but I certainly was able to relate. And so I'm looking at this and I'm saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, but Rodney King, yeah, but, but Rodney King. And that's the thing that is so painful about this is that with all of the riveting testimony, I mean, include, like you said, police officers, EMT officers breaking down and like, this was, this was totally over the, over the line. This was totally out of hand and I could not do anything. You're getting this type of testimony, but still in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm watching this. I was listening to it over the radio as I, as I was driving because I've been, like many of Americans like you, you know, we've been gripped to this. I'm right. thinking, still, yeah, but but Rodney King. Yeah, yeah, but but Rodney King. Absolutely. You know, and and 
I think this is a good time to kind of segue into the, the, the technical parts and legal parts of this case. Because remember that this is Minnesota. Not too many years before George Floyd, we have Philander Castile. Right. Well, the officer that killed Philander uh, Castile actually is back on the force. Really? Yeah. I was exactly. aware of that, really. Yeah, but the officer, the Somalian officer, black, they killed a white European, I think she was from Australia, is actually in jail. In prison. Yeah, he's doing two, he's doing serious time, right? A absolutely. I mean, so we see the difference now, and that this is something that we'll take a look at later on after the trial mm -hmm. is over. But keep in mind that this is not a slam dunk case, mm -hmm. right? Based upon the legal standards that are going to be applied to this case. It was a win for them to institute uh, the other type of manslaughter uh, case, I mean, charge uh, that they waited until the appeal of another case before they implemented it and added to the uh, actual charges that could be heard in the jury instructions, because this now gives the jurors more options mm -hmm. in order to convict uh, this particular uh, defendant. Now, as we talked about earlier, the witnesses that came about, uh, the very first uh, some of the first witnesses that were there was the eyewitness, those who videotaped it. Right. So the prosecution brought those individuals that videotaped or were there. Uh, you had a MMA former fighter who knows what a chokehold is. Exactly. You know, he was like, he was choke choking him out. Right. And a female who was there who was an off-duty firefighter, paramedic, right. who was saying, allow me to check his pulse, say, just check his pulse, which we now know, according to the training officer, that's what they were supposed to do. Right. Both check check for pulse and call an ambulance. No, no effort to help him. No effort to revive him at all. Exactly. At all. And all four officers, all four, keep in mind, all four did nothing to help him. Even when the paramedics came on the scene, who also testified, they said that they immediately checked the pulse on the neck. And the question was, what did they expect to, to feel? They said, if there's any type of life or there should be some movement here because right. that's where the oxygen goes to the brain. He said he felt none. Still, the officer Chauvin had his knee on his neck. He was saying there's no pulse, but still he had his knee on his neck. He wouldn't get up until finally, and if you go back and look at that video, it was almost a minute, or maybe over a minute before Chauvin got up and then threw him on the gurney, steel handcuffed, like a mm -hmm. piece of meat, right? So you have the witnesses that were there. Then you have the EMTs who came on the scene. Then you brought right. in the, before that, they, well, I'll talk about the girlfriend next, but they brought in the officers, the commander, the lieutenant, the sergeant, the training commander, all saying he went over the top, all mm -hmm. saying this is not part of our training. And even the, the captain said, this is not part of our training. He went too far. And this is not part of our ethics and values. Yeah, so, I mean, they all they threw him under the bus, clearly. Yeah. Oh, no, no, look. I don't think they threw him under the bus. I think they actually held him out and said, listen, this is wrong. And I think they actually did the right thing. Okay. I think the connotation of throwing him under the bus means that you're trying to escape something, which I know they're trying to save face. Don't get me wrong. We both know this is a PR thing as well, Will. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I think they did the right thing. The question is, will it be enough? Well, that is the question. I mean, and so what do you <laughs> what do you think? 
Because yeah. what, what we also saw was a glimpse of what the defense is going to try to chip away at. And that is Mr. Floyd's character. Um, the fact that, you know, he was using drugs, that he was hiding something at that time. Um, these are all the typical defenses to... Yeah. He had a gun. I thought he had a gun, right? He thought he had a gun, you know, so in some way, he was responsible for and created a situation that warranted um, a police officer putting his knee on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds. So when you see, we saw that in the, in the first week as well. So what do you think about uh, how all this apparently overwhelming evidence, but we also see that the typical attack of hitting the persons at, at their character, making the victim responsible for their own victimization. That very much, again, yeah, but Rodney King. Yeah, That's but, right. but Rodney That's right. King. Do you think? Mind, one of the defenses in the Rodney King case is that he was on drugs, right? Right. And they were saying, oh, he had superhuman people. Right. They thought he had, the drugs gave him superhuman strength. Keep in mind, the officer in the Michael Brown case said that when he grabbed him, he said he looked in his eyes and he saw a demon, right? So he, he so it's how black men are viewed. Right, so it works. So you know that it that line works. Because we, work. we've been demonized for years. It absolutely, it works. And will it work here? If you look at the makeup of the jury, you have enough non-blacks on that jury to give a inkling of doubt that they, that it could be. And it's also based upon their experience. So if you go back and look at that video where Derek Chauvin is talking to the African-American male, the older male, uh, elderly gentleman who was on the stand crying. Right. He's the man, you just kill that man. You just kill that man. And of course, he's lying, uh, Derek Chauvin, about, you know, reason why he did it. And he said he was probably, he was probably on something. Mm -hmm. That's what the, the, that's what Derek Chauvin said. He was probably on something. You know, I had to handle because he was probably on something. So it's All that right, characterization okay. again. It's that Rodney King defense. Is that Michael Brown. This guy's big. This guy, you know, black men are big. They're aggressive. They get on drugs. It's not going to mellow them out. It's going to cause them to have superhuman strength, right? If, if, if drugs cause people to have superhuman strength, trust me, it's not going to be a street drug. You know, they're going to they're gonna bottle it up and sell it for a well, lot of I mean, but you're saying, you, you know, part of what you're saying is that, well, in this case, they've got a jury of diverse enough people who may not go for that argument and that stereotype, that, that old trope. All you need is one now. But the fact, right. But the, and, and that's the fact of the matter is that black people also live in this society as well. And there's a certain level of buying into the tropes and accepting the worst of us as well. I mean, I'm thinking right now about the uh, Central Park case. Mm. And I was in New York at that time uh, when all of that was going on about the um, the young men being accused of, of raping predominantly black men, a couple of uh, uh, Latino, a couple of brown 
yeah. or brothers among them were all Afro accused yeah. of, of raping a, a white woman. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that it wasn't just a black and white situation. There was a lot of uh, black people in the community who felt that that possibility was very highly likely. And reason being that, um, as we know, most crime happens is intra-racial. It's not inter-racial. It's, it's right. people committing crimes against the people who are closest to them right. in their community. Right. So there was a lot of Black people who were able to see, yeah, um, a lot of Black women have been victimized and raped yeah. and and by their by by their own people, just like right. majority of white women when they are victimized is by other white women. So just because you've got a diverse jury, oftentimes there is a willingness to actually follow the letter the of the law yeah. about what is being presented and the facts. So not even that isn't guaranteed because a lot of times because in these communities in Chicago and New York, major cities where black people are, black people put black people in prison all the time. That's right. All the time sitting on juries because of this honesty about what is really presented in the facts and in the law. I think yeah. we have a history in this country where it's more likely that a white jury might ignore the facts of the case and vote in favor of, you know, their emotions and what they want to believe about race, racism and so forth. So if this defense can put forth a defense that delivers enough reasonable doubt <laughs> in this in this diverse jury, you may find that honesty to say, you know what, that that yeah. is on the definition of what reasonable doubt is, it it That's is reasonable right. doubt. Right. And will you bring up a very important point? I want to make sure I, I go back to it. You know, we create this this genre of crime or black on black crime. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, as you stated, people commit crimes is is inter, is intra and not interracial crimes or intergroup crimes. So basically, you commit crimes against the people in which you live around and that you know. Uh, so that's a very important point, how that type of genre of crime has, cre- or ca- how we categorize that crime, has uh, created this, this, this thing that Black people are more violent against themselves, and that's just not the case. But going back to the defense, and the reasonable doubt that they're going to have to, that they're going to poke at, is the drug use, right? Because the reason why the girlfriend was brought on was to mm-hmm. humanize George Floyd and the struggle with drugs. And I right. think the, I think it's a little different than the crack uh, era that of the during Rodney King's case, because we live now in the opioid era, where a mm-hmm. lot of the addiction, if not the majority of opioid addiction, is in white America, and opioid mm-hmm. addiction has now taken a hold on a lot of white communities. You think that sympathy will be there for a black man? Now, now again, I, you know, I, I don't know. Will, I don't know. To be very honest, I think the, pro- I think the uh, prosecution did a phenomenal job of raising it and humanizing it. Mm-hmm. I think also that the defense also did, did a good job not going after the witnesses because mm-hmm. most of the witnesses were sympathetic. And they right. the the official witnesses, meaning the police and paramedics, and also the ER doctor, uh, those individuals were then challenged on the actual policy, not themselves as a person. 
And I think the defense did a great job of not challenging that nine-year-old that was there. I told my son, I said, listen, the biggest mistake that the defense lawyer will make is if he cross-examined his nine-year-old. When it came time for the cross-examine, the judge said, do you have a cross? He said, he said no. That was, <laughs> that was the smartest decision right. of, of the case for Derek Chauvin that that trial lawyer made. So, so far, Will, you know, at this point, you know, this is uh, the Derek Chauvin case so far. Uh, we've seen the prosecution bring their witnesses. Uh, we've seen the eyewitnesses, the bystanders. We've seen right. the empathy that was given uh, the, 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 the girlfriend of George Floyd. The police actually cross over the line and testify in favor of it being too much force, which again is something that I've never, I haven't seen in these trials. So right now, you know, the ball is really in the defense court to bring to raise reasonable, reasonable doubt. So but as you bring this one home, yeah, but. Rodney yeah, King. so <laughs> and, yeah, but. and there is a but Rodney but Rodney King. So I, you know, I I I make sure that we understand that this is not a slam dunk case, that the bigger charge or the most severe charge may not make it. The less severe may make it uh through, but at the same time, we don't know. Because but remember the Rodney King case. So this has been our discussion of the George Floyd uh, trial against Derek Chauvin, state versus former officer Derek Chauvin. Uh, we're going to be following this case until its conclusion and also afterwards. So every week you can tune in and follow us again on Facebook, like, share uh, this particular episode here on LaVisa and Cleville. Also follow, follow us on our other social media, Instagram, also uh, all the others. And we will cover these issues and we'll bring it to you because to us, that's the way it is. We'll see you next time.